0: Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from true story FM. Today, your toaster is post-divorce and still rocking.
1: Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're talking with Brittany Bliss and Reed Givens, the musical couple behind Brittany and the Bliss Stones. They're here to talk with us about their experience navigating dual divorces, family separations, and how they have rebuilt their lives and identities after building lives with other partners came to an end. Brittany and Reed, welcome to the toaster.
2: Thank you very much. We're excited to be here with you.
3: Indeed. Okay.
2: You guys have such an uh,
0: interesting—it's an interesting story—and you that you seem to be on parallel tracks that just didn't find one another until uh, much later than maybe you expected. Can you? uh, How how do you start when you tell the story of your relationship?
2: It all started with me picking up the ukulele when I was very recently separated. Um, I was taking my son to pick out some music lessons at Guitar Center and I saw it on the wall and I basically haven't put it down since then. Um, So that was um, like March of 2017. And by that winter, I had started to feel comfortable like, hey, I want to try to go to some open mics and just see, you know, where this can go. And my first ever time performing in a bar with lights on me, I was so nervous I wanted to just run from the building like screaming and that's the night that Reed saw me um and he introduced himself cuz he had been going to that open mic for a while as the drummer and so wait,
0: wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a Wait just a minute. We
1: got we've got like 3 hours of a show <laughs> just all that's yeah, been said right. so far. No. Back <laughs>
0: back the Truck okay. Up. You weren't <laughs> you weren't a musician at all in your in
2: your prior life? I so I was a closet sad musician my whole life so I did like five years of choir and just little dabbles here and there with music but always in a choir setting never by myself I was a very nervous singer before I got the ukulele and there's something about having your hands be busy I was able to really let loose as a solo singer once I had the the, my, my security blanket of a ukulele Okay. Okay. Security <gasps> That's ukulele. what I sleep oh, with yeah. every it's very night. Very cozy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's much
3: easier than a base. <laughs> um,
0: okay. So I've been listening to your your tracks uh, all all day so far that are up on Apple Music, and it doesn't sure doesn't sound like you just picked up a ukulele uh, just a few years ago. Uh, oh, thank so you. Uh, you know that that sad closet career, which ironically is the same thing Seth says about his closet clowning career. He's just he he can't shake the attorney. I can juggle the attorney. I vibe. can juggle. Uh, all right, Reed <laughs> You uh, you were there too. I
3: was. Turns out,
0: what brought you into the picture?
3: So I was relocated with the company I was working for uh, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, to Chico, California, and uh, this all coincided with my divorce uh, and also my youngest child becoming eighteen. So this was a get divorced. Uh, drop the kid off at college, and then into the U-Haul truck with everything you own to a city you've never been to before. And your former spouse stayed in Albuquerque? Yes. Okay, all right. So, yeah, music, I'd been playing drums basically my entire life since I was five, um, but stopped um, when I had kids in my first marriage. It was not conducive uh, to spend a bunch of time in bars or away from the other person. Uh, at the time, so music just kind of became a thing not to do, and that didn't get along with me too well. So that was one of the commitments I made after the divorce. You know, music is important to me. Uh, I'm going to make sure to prioritize that. So that was one of the first things I did when I moved here. Is you got to find the other musicians. Uh, being a drummer, it's a little bit tougher on account of no one wants to hear a 20 minute drum solo except maybe other drummers. So you need other musicians to play with.
1: I just woke up this morning thinking. God, I'd love to hear a 20-minute drum solo. (laughs)
3: Absolutely. So we're going to take a break. So, Reed, go back there. see you in 20 minutes. Yeah, the singer-songwriters have it made. They just show up with their guitar, play the song. Everybody likes it. Um, Or dare we say ukuleles. Or or ukuleles. (laughs) So that was the first order of business, was go to every open mic in town and look for the one that had a drum set already there. And I found one. And that's the one I went to every Friday night. And that's the one she walked into one day.
0: Wow. How long had you been going to this for f- before she walked in?
3: About five months, I think. Okay. So yeah, every okay. Friday night. And uh, she is a very emotive player. So I got, got to the open mic that night, and she was already up on stage. And man, you just you can feel her from the second you walk in. Definitely captivated me. So I had to wait until after her performance and try to not be creepy, but just let her know... Man, that was amazing! Really, really enjoyed it. Don't stop, please come back. And then she did,
0: and she did. That's fantastic. All right, so you know, divorce podcast. We we've got to dive a little bit into the divorces before we talk about the navigating stuff afterwards. So now we've we've had the meet cute. Uh, which is wonderful. Let's do the flashback. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the unsevering for each of you. How, who read since you're you're on a roll.
3: Well, there's some funny things that we didn't realize uh, about both of our stories. We were both married for 19 years. We also our official divorce dates are within days of each other. When we got the paperwork back from the the court with a little stamp on it that says approved. So I mean, literally the same week. Uh, we each got them in different states. But uh yeah, mine mine started in uh Tampa, Florida and we had uh two kids together.
1: Ding ding ding. Yeah. Wow, that's my hometown. That's where I am right now. Ah.
3: There we go. Nice. Yeah, started there, had kids, moved to New Mexico uh with a career change and uh you know, did the best we could for as long as we could but didn't uh didn't go well in the end, but 19 years is a long time. And then if you consider my age, we're basically talking, I turned 18 and then moved in with this person and got married. So essentially my entire adult life up to that point was built with this other person as part of that story and narrative. And so when it it probably led to, I stuck around way longer than I should have. Um, because I didn't know how really to define who I was outside of the context of, you know, the husband and the father and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, you lose your identity. We've talked about that before, Pete. Sure.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of that, but that was, yeah, it took a long time to finally go, you know, at a certain point. There's no more excuses that can be made. This this needs this needs to end uh, and, and try to work all that stuff out. And then all the things, you know, that I'm sure you've heard a thousand times, it was that lack of identity. What do I do now? What does it mean to be me? Yeah. And that coinciding with, you know, now I'm an empty nester at the same time. I don't know how much to attribute where, but that's pretty rough.
0: That's the thing I, I that hits me. I'm, we're, we're in the process of empty nesting. I have two and one is in college. And the other one is on the way out the door, uh, still in high school. And I, I'm feeling the weight of that experience. When you say we, pushed pushed her out the door and then got into the u-haul um that's that's a a terrifying transition to have to wrap my head around for you on your behalf i was
1: i i was actually thinking about that and wondering like i hope you didn't like take your stuff out of the u-haul and jam it into the dorm room and then leave with all his stuff and then that's just going to be bad. It's bad news. Like that's bad news. Yeah, it's bad, yeah. bad news. No. Well, at
2: least she had the cat with him for all yeah. of this. She she came well, out from New Mexico. <laughs> Emotional support cat. Oh, I yep. see.
1: I see. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Uh, so-, so now we're sleeping with a cat in a ukulele. <laughs> yes. That's what I got going on <laughs> yeah. so far, Pete. <laughs> yeah, all right. So Brittany, your divorce accurate. <laughs> your your divorce was swimming super easy, no problems. <sighs> right. That's how mm, yours went. Right.
2: Not so much. Of that
1: yeah because I described a unicorn right. but keep going <laughs> I,
2: I will say though we we co-parent really well um, unlike Reed my divorce was before my I have one son with my ex-husband who's uh, 16 and you know he's about 11 when we split up so I have been co-parenting with my ex which so we have pretty different dynamics in terms of that because I still have a, a minor but I essentially met my ex-husband when I was 20. Uh, married at 24 and I left him three times in total, two, two moving out and one like over a weekend. So I, I really tried um, every which way, six ways to Sunday to, you know, keep the family intact. That's what my focus was. And my, my spirit and my, my vision for my life was, it was just always so clear. Like this person is not, he didn't sign up. For the kind of ride that you want in life. <laughs> and, you know, spending 19 years with someone and realizing they still would be perfectly happy, you know, to just sit back and let you dream for the family and achieve for the family is like, I can't, I can't have that weight anymore. So that third time was the the third and final. But um, we have a, we have a pretty awesome relationship now as friends and people who you know, spent that long together um, and, you know, really focusing on the dynamics that that brings to my son, knowing that his parents get along. Yeah. Is is a real, I mean, that's just a gift I know we're giving him.
0: Were, were the divorces, sounds like the divorces themselves, the legal process, once you sort of separate the emotional process, uh, was fairly streamlined. Is that a fair assessment for both of you? Is that true?
2: On my end, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, pretty much. I mean, I... They spent a bunch of time trying to figure out what needed to be, what papers needed to go where, and by whom. Um and then at the end of it, I said, I should really have someone with a degree in this take a look at this before I file anything and make a huge mistake.
1: Yeah, I was saying, if there's only, <laughs> if there's only anybody
3: out there that does that for a living, God, where do you find
1: those guys? They are elusive.
3: <laughs> they
2: like to hide. Speaking of unicorns. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need the magic behind incantation the f- yeah. <laughs> on Tuesdays under a full moon. Yeah, behind the That's fairy right. tree.
1: Absolutely. That's right. That's <laughs> right.
0: According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, approximately 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. This is an alarming
1: statistic as a family law professional who deals with custody cases regularly
0: finding the balance between the child's safety and helping the child maintain a relationship with both parents is one of the hardest things to navigate. Add in the he said, she said phenomenon that happens with divorcing couples who often weaponize alcohol use against one another, and the situation is even more difficult.
1: All of this is why Soberlink has been one of the most important tools for my clients dealing with these issues. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind regarding the child's safety. Soberlink helps keep the focus on the best interest of the child, which is really the most important part in a divorce case dealing with children. I've teamed up with Soberlink to create a parenting plan guide to help people going through divorce that involves
0: alcohol in children. And you can download it today at Soberlink.com toaster. And if you take a look and you think you're ready to order Soberlink, just mention How to Split a Toaster for $50 off their device price. Our thanks to Soberlink for sponsoring How to Split a Toaster. So you're going through the process then. You're divorced. You find each other. I want to hear about this process of discovering that there is a new relationship to be had between the two of you, right? I mean, if you characterize the breaking of a relationship, what's it like for you to realize that there is now a a new future? How do you talk about that?
2: Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that that weekend— Um, So two weeks after the first time we met, which was that very brief interaction of him saying, hey, I really enjoyed your performance, which I really needed to hear that night, by the way, because I don't know if any of you have seen Annie Hall by Woody Allen, but when Diane Keaton's in the bar and she's like so nervous singing and like glasses break, like that's what I felt like. And so for him to say that was like really meant a lot.
1: And you're like, I don't care if it was a creepy guy. It sounded good. I'll take it. (laughs) Nice.
0: (laughs) Take it from anyone. Step one, take what you can get. Okay, good. Noted. For the show notes.
2: Well, and there was, you know, I felt something when he, I, I didn't even get his name. We had a 30 second interaction. And when our eyes met, like I really did feel something. So really? the next time that we saw each other was two weeks later at that Friday night open mic. And I got there first and I signed up and I saw him walk through the door. And I just, it's such a famous moment for us because we both can just like put ourselves there again. I just patted the little bar seat next to me and we spent till three in the morning together that night and the entire weekend. But
1: wait a minute, I got got a question. (laughs) Like,
3: were you you shooing the cat away?
2: (laughs) No, I was in a bar.
3: But the cats don't drink, Seth. (laughs) They don't? I need to talk to mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable.
2: Yeah, there was this spark that was kind of naturally progressing that second time that we met. And so by the end of the weekend... We kind of both knew already that there was something there, and we were both completely terrified. And we kept—what what did we do, honey, about that? We kept talking to each other, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, there was—I can't remember the comedian, but he, he made this joke where he's like, dating should be, you know, kind of like playing poker where you, you just bring all of your issues and, you know— well, you got that. I can raise that. I can beat that. I've got this problem.
2: That's crazy.
3: You yeah, know? right.
1: I'll one-up you on my
3: problems. That's a good way to land uh-huh. people, land a spouse. Uh, we, we almost did that, kind of. I mean, both sides of that, though. It was like, you know, these these were some of the challenges. These are what I'm aware of that I don't want to do again. And, like, have had this really almost oddly frank conversation about if this is a relationship and we're both a little gun-shy about it what does that need to look like? Or what do we think that needs to feel like? And, you know, anything we could think of to try to, Somewhere between, I guess, reassure ourselves or let the other person know what level of crazy they're going to be dealing with if they sign <laughs> up for this.
1: Right. Cause we're all crazy. It's just, it's just a level. I like that a lot. It,
0: matter of degrees.
1: Yeah. The
2: only normal people are the people you don't know very well. It's one of my very favorite quotes.
1: <laughs> That's really <Right>. good. <laughs> so, how does it come up that you figure out that you were divorced? relatively within the same week? Like, were you guys celebrating them individually with cakes? What was going on there?
2: That was three months ago when we were filing for our marriage license for the state of Nevada. We didn't whoa, whoa, know. Whoa, 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 we knew they ha- didn't know? We, we knew they happened around the same time, but we didn't know they were two days apart. So we, we just found that out like three months ago.
0: Wow.
1: And then on your marriage certificate, you have to put if you were married before and the date of divorce, and you're like, mm. Really close. Wow.
2: (laughs) Really close. Two days.
1: Got it. Spooky. That is spooky. Almost as creepy as some guy coming
0: up when you're holding a ukulele. This is <laughs> the, you know, I'm a big movie guy. So <laughs> this story, somebody needs to write this story. Like this is, a, I know, like I can already cast it. Like somebody's in this in my head. This is a big thing,
3: this movie. It's going to be huge. And well, then we just have to get famous. So people want to watch that movie.
2: Yeah, keep Keep streaming that music. <laughs>
3: Yeah, right. Keep uh, uh, streaming the music. I'm just playing overnight. I'm
1: looking for the cameo on the podcast. That's what I'm hoping for, Pete. <laughs> this is going to be,
0: this podcast is going to take up like a quarter of the movie, the experience. It's just, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So you guys meet, though, and you have this weekend, and you basically, it sounds to me like you're being open, honest, and vulnerable. And that's freaking terrifying, especially after you've gone through a divorce where everything could still be raw. Or if not, you just picked off that scab and let's pour some salt in it. But it sounds like you were each doing that to yourselves to explain where you were coming from, not at each other. Is that a fair assessment?
2: That's very well said. Yep.
1: How did you get the courage to do that? Or another way to say it is, what the hell were you drinking?
2: Lots
0: of kombucha. <laughs> kombucha. It's, it's, it's very natural. Very natural. Look, I. This is. I think that question is. Is. I think it's really important for for me and as somebody listening, this whole idea of the the fact that you're you're trying to to wander through the fear while the emotions and chemicals are making time speed up. Right. Like. That's the that's the thing that like it feels like this second relationship everything i've heard is and and i'm I, i'm not divorced so i'm i'm the vessel for learning that everything speeds up in a new relationship but you're you're dragging something behind you.
3: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um
2: half half life.
3: Yeah, that's a we got this one from from Will Smith, i guess. We read some article somewhere that said that he uh in when him and jada first got together they actually went to counseling pretty early on uh the i guess the idea is kind of like preventative health or preventative maintenance right get in there before you need it and that's something we've been doing for a while so i mean we've been together for five years and for three and a half of those we've been in couples therapy it was
2: nine months we started therapy at nine months
3: oh first disagreement pete let's see how this is on the show this is going in the (laughs) movie for sure um but that's that's a term that we got from from our therapist as she calls it the half-life of the previous relationship and having that language talk about that having that language i I don't understand that so it took us 19 years to develop whatever conceptions we have about what it's like to be married. So now that we're in this second long-term relationship, there's a good chance that we're going to assume how to behave or how to interact or the expectations of the other person based on, you know, two decades of experience with a different person. And so sometimes the, either our own, you know, trauma or expectations or whatever can be projected onto the other person. Based on those old things and not based on the person you're actually talking to right now in this situation about this present thing. And so she says, you know, it took us 19 years to get there. It's going to take you some time to get out to stop having those assumptions or to stop I'm
2: like I want the formula. So it's 19 years divided by 2 is this is the year and month where we're not going to feel the half life anymore, right? And she's like, "No, it it's kind of goes like this." So
0: I was doing that math and it's not linear, right? That's enormously aggravating because I'm I'm thinking like you can't introduce a concept with math and finish it with a hand gesture uh, and a yeah. wavy line. Yes. That is not
2: fair. Our our uh, left brains don't like that at all.
0: Yeah, no, they don't care for no. it. I'm sorry
2: interrupting. interrupt. No, no, no. Gonna I was just going to say, I think that that's like when, you know, to answer the question that was being asked just previously about where do you find the courage um, to be that raw and vulnerable after going through, you know, and like the words you were using was were so great, you know, the scab, it's like just so fresh. And I think because there was a couple of factors there of like, Very early on, we established with each other that it was always safe to say how you're feeling. And it sounds so basic, but when you're in a dysfunctional relationship, you can't necessarily do that because you are going to be met with, you know, misunderstanding, resentment, a fight, you know, all
1: gaslit, all that stuff.
2: Exactly. Manipulated, um, made fun of, that was a big one for me. And so when we were able to really show each other so early, it was like we kept daring to be courageous because we kept always feeling the fruit of that labor with each other because we we just it was like, oh, OK, so you're you're different. You're not looking to do that to me. I mean, there were just so many times early on where we're like expecting this this behavior from the other person because of that half-life and then just talking about that and go, well, I was really prepared for you to throw something at me in the kitchen just now.
1: Right. Right. I'm picking up a knife and you're thinking he's about to stab me and he's like, I'm making you a salad.
2: Yep.
0: How quickly we back ourselves into a corner with no threat at all, right? This ghost
3: threat. Yeah, And that's, I think, why having language like what our therapist gave us with the emotional half-life is we have something to call that. So if we get into a, a tense moment, an almost argument, we can stop for a minute and go, is this really what's happening here? Or is this a projection? Is this half-life? Is, or is my half-life stepping on your half-life? They like
0: to
2: do that. It's so fun.
0: I wanted to talk about that. Like, at, at what point do you feel like you are processing at the same pace? Or, or do you ever feel like you're processing
3: at the same pace together? Well, we process things differently, so I don't know. I mean, maybe on average, we probably get there at about the same time, but what it looks like for us to get there during that time is pretty different.
2: Depends on how, how um, elevated the emotions are. Because I know if, if, I, if I misunderstand Reed that like one of my big things, just to, to give a specific example, is if I feel like I've shared something vulnerable and I might be made fun of or judged I can just kind of if he he just has this like thinky face and I project oh he's finding a way to make fun of me and in five years he has never made fun of me so if I'm like super elevated like that I, I'm gonna process things slower because I need to like come back down to reasonable land.
1: <laughs> That's a really interesting point because I've been with my fiance now for twelve years and she's only made fun of me. So, what I like about that though is I get worried if she's not cracking a joke.
2: Mm,
1: mm-hmm. Right, that's how she communicates. <laughs> that's Pete knows your her, yeah. right? Yeah. He he knows what I'm talking yeah. about. So, but I know that she's just always trying to go for the joke and make me laugh because she says there's almost nothing I like more in the world than making you oh, laugh. That's cute. right, even if it's at at myself, which is quite often, but you also need to understand who's giving the message and how
0: you're receiving it. Right. Mm -hmm. I I just have to ask the reciprocal question here because, uh, Reed, you were just informed that you have a thinky face. Uh, would you like to, to respond in kind?
3: This is a a well-known thing for me. This was my, probably my best friend still to this day. We ran a business under the ground together. Um, (laughs) Outstanding. So we were sharing an office way back in the day um, And something was going on in my personal life That I can't remember what it was at this point But I remember I had to go outside and have this very difficult phone call And I remember walking back in Feeling like I was just exuding so much negative energy And like it must have been written all over my face And so I look at my friend and I'm like I don't think I've ever been this mad in my entire life And he goes, really? Because you look exactly the same as you do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, yeah, I'm not the most expressive person, which is fine because I'm the drummer, right? I'm in the back. I'm sitting (laughs) down.
2: I'm the lead singer. I have all the personality.
1: Yes. Reed, I wish I had the talent that you have to keep the same face because I've done trials now on Zoom and it's distracting. Because the other side will say something and the judge will say something and I see the response on my face. Yeah. It's not good. It's really bad. And before Zoom, I was in court. You had
2: no idea. And a a
1: judge, I did, and here's why, is a judge looked down at me and said, well, I can tell by the expression on your face, Mr. Nelson, you think the court's ruling is improper. And Mm. I was just like, for a second, and I just had to go with the joke. I said, your honor my facial expressions have been getting me in trouble with my mother across the di- t- or kitchen table since as long as i can remember and she laughed and she goes my mother hates my handwriting but i i literally yeah. have to focus to
0: be like read yes well but it takes it it is one of those things like tiny tiny zoom window seth tiny window seth <laughs> Is, right. <laughs> a, is somebody yeah. that you have to get to know that you, is mm. the gift of the pandemic, that yes. you actually have to do that. But, but new partnership, like the, the experience of and the intentionality that has to really go into getting to know this other person, even if only to supplant those old habits and those old expectations, right. is incredibly important. It is, it's what I'm hearing, at least.
3: Yeah, there was so much of trying to make sure that we weren't going to fall back into what we had just left, right? We left for a reason. If we thought it could have been better and we worked it out, we would have stayed. And we did several times. But the other part of it is just like, it's, it's not just that, but it's also where do I want to go?
1: That's what That was my question. So it sounds to me you guys are focused on this half-life. But to me, at some levels, I feel like you're inviting your former relationship into the current one. So are you working to keep that out and you're just talking about you, but not your former spouse. Does that make sense?
2: It does make a lot of sense. So it's, it's definitely like, Oh, this is a pattern that I'm recognizing that I developed in my last relationship, but not, not bringing that other person's energy. in. it's like, Oh, I'm noticing I'm feeling, you know, threatened or scared. And it's because it's triggering this certain memory. But I think that actually, if you don't identify that, because if you're in a relationship with someone for 20 years, and you don't talk about that stuff in your next relationship, those ghosts will be there so much stronger, because you're not even identifying that you're bringing that baggage with you. And you're, you know, that's wherever you go, there you are, <laughs> which is another favorite thing. But yeah, I think um, for us, it does feel like that's how we stay current paradoxically is by talking about those things that get triggered from the past.
3: Yeah. We recently, like it was a defense mechanism for me to be successful in the previous relationship, to make sure that I didn't say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And I mean, to a certain extent that's every relationship, right? But there was certain, like if, if my partner at the time was very elevated or under a lot of stress or something like that, It was very easy to misinterpret something that I said and then, you know, explosion. And, you know, who knows how long this is going to last and for how many days and how big the blast radius is going to be. So it was, you know, if I'm unsure, I need to be reserved, quiet, say as little as possible until she could calm down. And then maybe we could talk about it later. What we've recently discovered, that doesn't work with Brittany. But that's what I... So if she is under a lot of stress or something. And I'm trying to, you know, just chill out to not give her any more to worry about that can actually feel like distance to her and stresses her out. Exactly. It makes, it makes it worse. And, you know, that was the thing. And it took us a while to figure that one out, you know, by running up against that a few times until we go, Oh, okay, that's what's going on. But I, I guess back to what Brittany said earlier, it was that very early decision that, it's always safe to share what you're feeling allows us to have conversations like that. Even if we don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah. I I hear that because once this was many years ago, my fiance goes, I don't understand what happened in your last relationship. You get along with your former spouse. She's absolutely wonderful. Great. She just had all these compliments. And I said, well, you know the joke is, well, I messed it up, which I actually thought is a true statement. And she goes, but I just don't get it. And I said, do you know when I tell you my chest feels tight? And she's like, oh yeah, you're like horrible. That's like when you're you're most stressed, and that's actually a code for now because sometimes if I, my chest is just tight, I might not be able to vocalize and say what's bothering me, but I can feel it. And so now I just say my chest is tight. In and my fiance knows what to do, right? Whether it's give me a hug, give me space, like whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But I told her my chest was tight for three years. And she was like, oh shit, I would have not put up for that for three years. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Mm, but I, yeah. I, and you know, hey, I'm a wordsmith. I'm a lawyer, right? I would get tongue tied and tight and not even know how to express what I was feeling. And I can still feel that emotion physically. and then. If I breathe, if I calm down, if I do all the things that we talk about just to get in the right headspace to then say, okay, I think this is what's going on. So do you have like little triggers that you can feel and then you can quickly express so you don't explode things with your, in your new relationship?
2: Yeah, we have a little saying, I have a weird. I have a weird. I, and we've sort of borrowed that too from this next part from Brene Brown of like, I'm making up a story. I'm making up a story right now that I just really pissed you off because you wanted help with dinner and I just want to play the piano and then we'll talk about it. So we have that little, like, that's like a heads up to the other person, like, Hey, the next thing out of my mouth might make zero logical sense. And I'm having some strong feelings. <laughs> I think so. It's so great to have that container, that, that shared language with your partner, like you were just describing with the, the tight chest.
0: We do that too, and we've been doing that with our kids. This whole idea of like we're all the star of our own movie, and sometimes you need to look around and see if you're just a supporting cast member, right? Sometimes you've got to see, you've got to be able to read, read what's on screen right now. It's, it might not be about you this time.
2: Mm, that's very
3: yeah, that's a good, good point. Yeah, you had a friend of mine, they've from the outside looks like they've had a perfect marriage the entire time. Yeah, but they have they. Their trigger word, I suppose, that's kind of similar to ours is they call it the circle of trust, which basically means I'm about to say something that's going to sound really critical of you, yeah. Mm. But you're gonna, you know, the intent is not to be mean to you. The intent is to try to bring this to your attention and maybe have some dialogue around it. And so it's it's interesting to me that you know, depending on the scenario you find yourself in, that seems to be a really handy way of doing it. And I keep seeing that crop up in different places. You know this. This prefix, this predefined, if I say this, like you were just talking about, my chest is tight, you know, I don't have to know what that means, but it informs the other person, right? If this gets said, it means something else. And that's easier to remember in the moment when you're stressed out, is what's the phrase? That's right. Instead of, what am I actually feeling?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: too many people lampoon having a safe word i'm telling yeah. you yeah there are many contexts other than you know yes. that one where a safe yes. word comes in handy totally agree but i tried
1: like double bacon cheeseburger it just doesn't yeah. like work no. you know <laughs> avocado no it
0: doesn't are really you, work like, are you hungry <laughs>
3: do you want a snack <laughs>
0: you know i i have a i have a thing and i'm sure i'm sure there are Many ways from Sunday that this isn't healthy, but we have a thing in my marriage where if there's something that's really on my nerves that my, my wife's doing and I, it just, I need to get it out and I know it's going to come off as critical or judgmental. We always start with, is there something you really hate about me right now? And. She knows immediately that I'm going to ask her to change something about her life, but that she gets a free crack at me too. Mm, and so as wow. long as it's reciprocal, the balance of sort of emotional power is maintained and we're totally even because I get, get off my chest my thing and she a- is able to just have a freebie. Anything she wants, I, I'll do it. I'll do can it. Can you
2: say that one more time? Which part? Is there something about me that is driving you crazy right now? Is that what you yeah, said? Is
0: there something about me that you can't stand right now? Like, is there anything that I can change right now? Any, I'm <laughs> Brittany's
1: that. like taking massive <laughs> notes over there. I know. I'm saying that three I, times tonight. It, is, it was so <laughs> scary the uh-huh. first
0: time we tried it, but it was one of those things that just it it. it created balance mm. for us mm-hmm. that just makes it one of the I mean, and it can be the bigger the small things the smallest thing in the world that bugs me to no end it is a huge button when everybody in my family takes the little stickers off of fruits and vegetables and puts them on the counter and never cleans them up oh. so we end up with this counter that's a mess with stickers how does that even become culturally acceptable but it did Eight, in my that's house called you're, that's called art that's called art you don't know art you're a <laughs> dog playing poker guy come on and that was one of those things it's bugging me like crazy right. and and That totally changed, and I don't even re- I don't even remember the thing that she asked of me. It was so, but it got it freed me of a of a button, and we've used it for
2: decades. Nice, you know. I would say one other thing that just popped into my head that I think is worth making a note of, especially since we have an attorney in the in the room, is one thing that Reed and I have um, often pointed to as something so refreshing and relieving in our dynamic is that unlike both of our previous marriages, neither one of us is ever on trial. So Reed has a lot of experience in his last relationship with things that were said in the heat of a moment or things that were said that were misunderstood and then not being able to move past that because that's just ammunition and like Opposing sides of a court case, right? It's like, nope, but you so said wait, this. So wait, Brittany,
1: you're saying, you're saying when I'm in an argument and she says, will you stop deposing me? And when I say I will, when you just answer the fucking question, <laughs> that's what you're talking about, right? <laughs> right? Okay. Right. You know, right. asking for a friend. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> right. Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. But I do have a question because we're talking a lot about our relationship with each other. But as we all know, we have extended family, we have kids, we have friends that we go out with. Sometimes we go out with people for business purposes, and maybe you're just got to be there, but you don't really want to be. So I think there can be a lot of miscommunication on what one of you may or may not need in those different settings. So do you guys talk about like, hey, you know, that creepy uncle's coming over, We got to deal with them. I really get stressed about it. I need your help with this. Do you have those conversations? Because those types of interactions with others can trigger you. And then if your spouse or your loved one, the person you're in a relationship with isn't supporting you when you're being triggered, now that external factor has become an internal factor in the relationship.
2: Yeah, I think one of the big biggest examples of this is um, Reed's, like, co-parenting relationship with my son. So, I'm, you know, Michael's mom, and Reed is now the stepdad. And so there is this power imbalance of like, yes, there's two adults in the house, but only one of them is my, my real, you know, parent. And so, right. but since Reed has been with me for five years, there have been uh, numerous times where, you know, Michael and, being a teenager boy and like trying to push those boundaries. And I can absolutely like pull Reed aside and be like, all right, here's what I think I want to do, like discipline wise, parenting wise. And like, this is what's stressing me out is like, I feel like I'm being a bad mom or like talking through all those things. And then having, you know, Reed, Reed's perspective cause he doesn't ever try to like but in the relationship between Michael and myself, so which is great because they have a wonderful relationship, but he does support me. And I and there have been numerous times where I'm like, hey, um, what would you do with your kid in this situation just to, like, bounce those ideas off of? That's the first thing that came to my mind.
3: She is much more outgoing and extroverted than I am. So we have some general—I mean, we've had conversations about that before. It actually came up recently because— Um, Our album release party is the same day as our wedding reception uh, at the same venue, and if that doesn't sound like a really fun thing to try and organize those two events on the same day at the same location, let me tell you, give it a go. Did you have no control in the scheduling
2: of said events? It sounded like a great idea four months ago. No, I, I mean, you yeah, definitely have totally control fair. over
1: one of those. You can decide when you're getting married, okay? <laughs> Album release release date, I don't know. Okay.
0: This sounded like a good idea at the time. It
2: just they just lined up and it sounded great.
0: We already have the venue. Yeah, no, it's gonna be a hell of a celebration. Like focus on that. Like all the stuff leading up to it. It might feel like a disaster, but
3: yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, we were kind of going through the planning of it, and we're, you know, what are we going to do during the wedding reception at this point? And I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, Um, but it was basically what I was attempting to convey is I haven't myself been to a lot of wedding receptions, and when I do go, because I'm typically very introverted, I go for the shortest amount of respectable time possible, and then I bail quickly. So if there is normal events that happen at these, I'm not sure what they are. So I'm not very good at planning this section, and I need to rely on your expertise more. That is not how it came out of my mouth, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that
1: that <laughs> sounds to me like a two drink minimum and you're out. Okay, but <laughs>
0: it sounded awesome actually. Just described a, my dream. That's how I work. All right, how did it, how did it come out? I can't wait to hear this.
2: What I heard is I don't like fun. I don't really want to be at this event. And you're gonna have to entertain everyone while I scowl in the corner.
3: So that that was not cool. I don't like fun.
2: Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Name of the show. <laughs> so that was that prompted another one of those, okay, right. This is my wedding receipt. As an introvert, you get generally speaking, right, we're all we're all on the spectrum. Um but in an introverted kind of state, if you don't feel prepared, it generates a lot of anxiety, right? It's not that introverts mind being around other people. It's that if we're not prepared for being around a lot of other people, if people are going to come up and make small talk and we don't know what kind, and we may not have material for it and we don't have a good, that's stressful, right? Whereas more extroverted people can off the top of their head and stuff. Yeah. So it's just, it's one of those comfort things. So, you know, and so we sat down and talked about it. We're like, okay, you know, you are more extroverted and, and more things like that. It means that I am more introverted and it means this. It doesn't mean I don't want to have a wedding reception. It doesn't mean I don't want to go to my own wedding reception. It doesn't mean I'm disinterested in trying to plan a good one, but we need to talk about it. I just it. don't want to talk to anybody <laughs> while I'm there.
2: <laughs> but, you I want to be behind the scenes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's usually how I get through parties. I'm the one who... Is running around managing it so I don't have to focus on on the people. Like right. You can't do that when it's about you celebrating you. Maybe you can, but it's probably not a good idea. But that was one of those conversations where it's like, I just need your help with this, right? And it's gonna sound dumb in some ways, but I need, you know, maybe we need to sit down and, and you know, help me remember that I'm an expert on myself, right? I don't need to prepare material for how is how is my relationship. I, I know it. I know that. of that. I don't need to prepare for it. There's not some weird question that's going to come out of nowhere that's going to floor me at my wedding reception. I think it's brilliant. I think
1: the fact that you basically have this miscommunication about planning a wedding reception and then that brings out really your personalities and how you deal with it and how this makes me anxious. It's not that I don't want to celebrate that we're getting married and I like all the people we're inviting. But here's my issue. How do I get through it? Help me through it, right? That's what relationships are about, Mm -hmm. is supporting the other person. And if you're talented enough as you are, Reed, to identify it, be able to articulate it about you, not about the party or whatever the circumstance is, like that. that's the nugget. That's the gold right there. Brittany,
0: I see why you like landed this guy. Nice work.
2: Oh, I know. I know. Thank you. Very Pleased. I yeah.
0: Uh, I I got I got one more question. One more question, and that is, you find each other, you find each other under the spotlight in a musical theater number. I have to imagine in my head, and there's a chorus, and all everybody else in the bar turns and starts singing in harmony. That's what's happened right oh, now in the movie. Yes, please. And uh, now you're on the uh, just right on the cusp of releasing your first album together. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about what it's like to transition from 19 years of marriage with a partner that is dissolving over a a part of that marriage to now five years of a relationship and some of that in a marriage where you are also working together
2: it's it's delightful um we just there's this there's this thing that happens where it's like me as a songwriter and him as a songwriter we're very aware that as two islands, we wouldn't be able to make what we made together. And so I'm not going to lie. There's definitely days where you're like, (sighs) <sighs> but I really don't like that chord change and like, Ugh! but that's just what happened in any band scenario anyway. And so we talk through it, but it's funny.
1: You say that any band scenario, I was thinking, I've never said that. Right. In my
2: relationship. <laughs> I just
1: don't like that chord change.
2: <laughs> well, he can be much more prog rock and I'm much more pop. And anyway, but we make it work. Um, but it, it's like, I think because of the, Great suffering that each of us and, and don't get me wrong, like our ex, our ex spouses are not monsters, they're not horrible people, they're the parents of our children, like all of that. But like, you know, Reed and I fulfill for each other what we, what was so clearly missing in our previous relationships, like in a really deep way. And so from very early on in our relationship, we knew we were going to like, try to run a business together or like be, you know, be working spouses because we just, I mean, we can spend, we can have the best time just walking through Costco still after, you know, five years making jokes to each other as we can, you know, in the Venetian in Las Vegas. Like there's just that natural compatibility that makes any project we're looking to do and like this album release, like just that much more satisfying
3: this is one of those for better or worse kind of things. And I think at the end of it, the net of it is so much better because all the same issues that you can have in a romantic partnership or a business partnership or a, we're trying to create art together. That is supposed to be an expression of ourselves relationship. We're doing all of those and they can all go wrong the same way or If she writes this beautiful song that I think absolutely needs this extra chord change in it, and I'm destroying her baby, she then comes right. We still live together, so the for better or the, the worst part of the for better or for worse is that any part of it can bleed into all of the rest of it. Right. Yes. The better part, I think, and why it's always a net positive is that we. We learn so much about each other. We have these potential friction points that we find ways of working through together, which is necessary, not just because we think it's the right way to do it. But there's, a you know, a lot at stake. I don't want to sleep on the couch tonight. And also, you know, the LLC is a 50-50 split. We're both on that one. And, like, really make sure, am I bringing the best version of me to everything that I'm doing? And working through this stuff as it comes up. And what actually ends up happening is we work through a lot of stuff faster because we're in so many more situations where we need to do it. And the more success we have with that, the more confidence we have in our abilities and our partnership, in all aspects of our partnership. And so that starts eating away at that half-life and we can start looking back and go, we know we can do hard things because we did. Sure right and and now we have tangible outcome i mean what we do you can stream it on spotify we can hold up a cd but it's there it's exists it's real
1: and we're going to talk about that more but i know pete you always hate it when i say here's the takeaway but if you really want to have a solid relationship you just need to start a band
2: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) everyone is musical you just find the right instrument
0: uh this is this has been great you guys. Thank you for for sharing your uh, your experience and yeah, your hard-won wisdom. And soon uh your music. Well, I guess now your music links in the show notes. We'll put uh uh links to the to where you can find Brittany and the Blistones in Spotify and Apple Music and uh the album by the time you hear this it will be only days away.
2: Yes, from 3 days away
0: on those platforms. Yeah. So pretty exciting.
1: Awesome. Pretty Thank exciting. you for having us. Do you have do,
0: do you have a favorite?
2: I think Mermaid. I think Mermaid is yeah. is my favorite uh, from that album.
3: I uh I was going to go with Lala La Love. What's funny is we wrote the songs together during COVID. I mean, some of them are older than that, but when we really sat down and we're like this is now going to be an album, and we're going to start tracking instruments. It's what while well, COVID was happening, so it was just her and me. We wrote all the parts for all the pieces. Any instrument we can't play, we found somebody on the internet, commissioned them to play it. So, like, the cello player is from the uh, Philharmonic Orchestra out of, you know, Italy and, you know, any all over the world, which is really cool. That's where I get my cello players. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, always. Yeah.
0: When one, as one does. As one does. <laughs>
3: yeah so we finished the album we got it recorded and uh, then restrictions started to lift and it's like okay we can get a live band back together and then we did and now we've got all of these um, really talented musicians that we found here locally who all play their instruments better because they're experts at them than the ones that we wrote um, in the album so when we play it live it sounds different because the parts have evolved sure um and so i i I, I love mermaid I think it's a great song it is one of my favorites and um, but right now I've got La La Love stuck in my head, uh, mostly because of the way we're doing it live. Like yeah. that song just got, it's so much fun, especially when the trumpet player shows up.
0: Oh Found found itself. It's neat.
3: Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, can't wait. Gotta listen to it. Well, yeah,
0: I've been, been listening to it all morning. It's fantastic. No, I'm telling the listeners, yeah. you gotta listen totally. to it. It's great.
2: Thank you, you know. so much.
0: Totally. It's really great. Thank you guys so, so much for joining us. We sure appreciate you uh, both for being on the show. Uh, Brittany uh, Reed, where do you want to send people? Do you have a Do you do you have your website? Where do you Where do you want to point people before we let you go?
2: Yeah, the website is the best place because um, there's links to everything right there. It's um, Brittany B R I T T A N Y and the Bliss Tones, B L I S S T O M E S dot com.
0: Beautiful beautiful we'll send those links in the show notes go find them go listen to the music thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show don't forget we want to hear your divorce questions just visit how to split a slash questions and share your story we'll do our best to address it on the show on behalf of britney bliss reed givens Brittany and the bliss Stones, and seth nelson america's favorite divorce attorney i'm pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on how to split a toaster a divorce podcast about saving your relationships
2: Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.